Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everyone on Zoom. It's great to you know, see uh, some of the names there on the the participants list, knowing that we are in this together, you know, as Silna said, when we look at the people that are participating, looking wherever you are, we know that even though we're not physically together, we are still in the spirit together, pursuing the Lord as one body, being called together to do what God has called us to do. And I just want to encourage you, if you're visiting us for the first time um, on Zoom, there's a number in the chat box, please connect with us, send us a number your number and your name on, on Facebook or wherever you feel comfortable to reach out to us so that we can see how we can connect you in this time or encourage you or strengthen you in this time where the tendency is to be isolated, you know, to isolate ourselves. Never have we been more diligent and eager to press in and to call those who feel alone into fellowship at this time. You know, it's so important for us as a church to be together, to not isolate ourselves. Even as we go through the sermon today, we'll see why it's so important to surround ourselves with people that speak the truth of God's word into our lives so that we might receive grace and deal in this race of faith and also turn back to God as we see that when we are being led astray or now going off course to surround ourselves with the right people of you are watching the recording of the video on YouTube or on Facebook or simply listening to our podcast, please reach out to, in, to us in this time. And if you don't reach out to us, just reach out to someone. There's a lot of good churches in this town, a lot of families of faith uh, that we need to be diligent and eager to connect ourselves with so that we can run with endurance the race set before us. Christianity is a us thing. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. And we are called to run the race set before us as we look to Jesus. And I want to encourage you in this time to connect and be diligent, to come together. Do not neglect to meet together, together encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near, but let me just open for us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here. Lord, thank you for Eugene and the band, Lord, just ministering to us, Father, as we just experience your presence, Lord, and the words, Father, of Scripture, Jim, just washing over us, Lord. As we know that you are a good Father, Lord, intending good, Lord, always leading us towards good, Father, so that we might know you, Father, experience your goodness. And yes, Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, as we listen to your word, Father, that you know, we'd be encouraged, Lord, just to see your grace, Lord, that you are always the one that draws us near, Father, that pursues us out of love, Lord, always giving grace, Lord, and time to repent, Lord, to come back to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for the hearts that's feeling that drawing tonight, Lord, that convicting of the Spirit, to have the boldness to respond to you in faith, Lord, knowing that you are a good Father. Your arms are always open wide, Lord, willing to forgive, to sanctify, to restore and to renew those who draw near, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So our title for tonight that we're going to go through is Sinner or Saint. You know, we're going to look at the life of David and you know, compare it a bit to the life of Saul. This first two kings will mostly look at the life of David and the scripture will go about David. And we see the life of these two kings of Israel, you know, Saul being the first one, and we love both stories, you know, we can relate to it, Saul also in the beginning being a humble man, you know, being a big guy, you know, physically head and shoulders above the rest of the men of Israel, standing out, but from a little family, and God chooses Saul to be king over Israel, the first king, and he accomplishes much, he unites Israel, 
He has a lot of victories that he f- fights and he wins. And a lot of great things that Saul do, you know. And, and, and we like the story of Saul, this man from this humble family, being brought up, being chosen, and he's king. And then we see he commits a, a couple of sins in his life. And eventually God says, you know, I'll take the kingdom of Israel away from you and I'll give it to another. A man after my own heart. Speaking about David. And when we consider the sins of Saul compared to the sins of David, we want to ask ourselves, yes, Lord, is, is this fair? Is this just? You know, it doesn't seem to add up. The sins of Saul in the beginning compared to the sins of David, you know, it's not that big. It's not that great. Yet we see David, you know, being this man after God's own heart, and God just simply does not remove his steadfast love from David. He stays with David. He restores David. He renews David, but he takes the kingdom away from Saul. And the question that we want to ask ourselves is why? What's the difference between these two men? Why does God respond graciously to the one but takes away the kingdom from the other? And you can go and read the story of, of Saul. I'm quickly just going to explain it. Before we dive into the story of David, you can go and read from 1 Samuel 9 to the end of the book of 1 Samuel as we read the story of Saul being chosen over king. And there's a couple of things he's done. And, and mainly we're going to focus on chapter 13 and 15 now as I'm, I'm explaining this to you. So the first thing that Saul does is God says, okay, the Philistines, they've rised up against you. You must go and make war against them. And Saul is waiting for Samuel. He's waiting for Samuel to come to perform the priestly duties, to offer, offer sacrifices to God so that the blessing of God and the word of God can be with them as they go out to war. And the funny thing is, Samuel is actually the one that's late. You know, Saul's waiting for this prophet to come and, so that we can secure the blessing of God, so that we can make sure that this is in the will of God. And Samuel doesn't come. And Saul's saying, okay, the men of Israel are departing they growing few by the number each minute, and the Philistines are, are getting all the more closer. And he decides, okay, I will offer the sacrifices to God so that we can ensure that the blessing of God is with us. And it seems to be a good thing. He was not supposed to offer the sacrifices. The priest alone is supposed to offer them. And Saul gets up out of a good heart. Yes, we can also see that he's you know, a bit afraid of the men coming closer and he's not waiting patiently upon the Lord. But the sin doesn't seem that great. And Samuel comes and he says to Saul, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and the Lord will seek another, a man after his own heart. Speaking about David. And then two chapters later in chapter 15, it's as if God gives Saul a second chance. And he says, you know, Samuel comes again to Saul and he says, the Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And Amalek and the Amalekites have done great, great horrors. And I want you to devote to destruction, the Amalekites. As seen as Saul's second chance to go and redeem himself and to go and do the work that God has called him to do. And again, in the story, God says, devote to destruction the Amalekites. Leave no man alive. Kill everyone. Man and beast. Leave nothing alive. And again, yes, we look at the judgment of God and we think to ourselves, it seems quite harsh. But when we consider the sins of the Amalekites that they devoted to destruction, the people around him, we nod our heads and we, okay, Lord, it seems fair, this judgment that you are pronouncing on this nation. And Saul goes out and what he does is he doesn't kill all of the animals. They keep the best ones and the reason they keep it is so they say they go and offer sacrifices to the Lord at Gilgal. Again, it seems to be a good thing. He keeps some of the animals alive to go and sacrifice it to the Lord. And also Amalek, the king of the Amalekites, he keeps him alive. So Saul's sin is that he doesn't kill everything. It doesn't seem that bad. It seems actually acted maybe out of a place of grace. 
We are not sure, but it doesn't seem that bad. Saul's sin is that he doesn't kill everything. And again, Samuel comes to him and he says, the kingdom of God is stripped away from you. God is grieved because he's made you king over Israel. And he goes and he anoints David king over Israel. And at that moment, the spirit departs from Saul and goes and rests upon David. And Saul is given an evil spirit to torment him. And from there, Saul goes from bad to worse, committing worse sins, pursuing David, wanting to kill him. And eventually, Saul and his son, Jonathan, is slain in the field of battle. And as we consider the story of Saul, we, we think to ourselves, okay, it makes sense isolated, just looking at this story. Okay, he didn't obey God, so God took away the kingdom. Okay, that makes sense. Yes, he did a couple of bad things, and eventually, he and his son dies. And we're like, okay, God, but in comparison to David... That David was left alive, that he died on his deathbed in his house compared to his sins, Lord. We're not sure if this makes sense. You know, and we read the story of David, and again, everybody loves the story. I haven't met a man that dislikes David. Even today, as we read the story, we like David. We, we want to be called a man like David, you know, man after God's own heart. But then we see the sins that David commits in light of and we think, yes, Lord, it seems that he's getting away with too much. You're simply just allowing him to continue like this. You don't remove your steadfast love from him. You don't take away the kingdom from him. You don't remove your spirit from him. What is going on here, Lord? And I want to say we're going to spend a couple of weeks as we look at this story. And I just want to give a warning that to the prideful and the fundamentalist religious, this will offend you and this will anger you. But to the broken... And the sinful that knows the condition of our hearts, this will give a lot of hope. But to the prideful, to the self-righteous, this will make you angry. So let's dive into it. We're going to read the story of David as he sins in 2 Samuel 11 to 27. It's also quite a long story, so sit back, relax, and let's read together as we go through it. It says the following. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel... And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rahab. But David remained at Jerusalem. Very important for us to note that. While all Israel went out to war at the time when kings go out to battle, David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. The Afrikaans says, hy het een When he arose from his couch after taking a nap and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Heatite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Job, Send me Uriah the Heatite. And Job sent Uriah to David, and Uriah came to him. David asked how Job was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. David, David trying to cover up his sin. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and they followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. And did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, he said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my lord Job and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat 
and to drink and to lie with my wife. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that David made him drunk. And the sin just goes from bad to worse as he's trying to cover up his sin. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting. And then draw back from him that he might be struck down and die. And as Job was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Job. And some of his servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Heatite also died. And just to pause there for a moment and just to give us a little bit of context here. Uriah is a man that knows war. This is not his first battle. This is not the first time he's going out to war. But he is a loyal man, loyal to David, loyal to Job. And something that we don't always notice about Uriah the Hittite is that when we read in 2 Samuel 23, the list of David's mighty men of valor, David's 30 closest companions on the battlefield, Uriah the Hittite is one of those men. He's not just some soldier. This was David's friend, a man that moved mountains for David. That broke through enemy lines to go and fetch him a cup of water. This is a man David knew. A man that fought alongside him. A close friend. And David sends him to die. And you can imagine Uriah. He's a man known to war. He's one of the mighty men of valor of David. And as they are pressing closer to the wall. He's thinking to themselves. Men what are we doing? We know that we are not supposed to go so close to the wall. But nonetheless I'll listen. I'm loyal to my commander. I'll go where you send me. And as they press him closer to the wall, all of a sudden, Uriah realizes that the men are withdrawing from him. And he's thinking, brothers, what are you doing? Why are you leaving me alone? What have I done? Not realizing that it's not his sin that's causing this, but the sin of his friend David that he's trying to cover up. And at that last moment, as he's asking the question, men, why are you falling back from me? And the arrows start to pierce him. He might be thinking of his wife. The wife he loved so much and thinking to himself, maybe that last couple of days in Jerusalem, I should have gone to see her because I will never see her again. Lord, what is going on here? And then the story continues. Then Job sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises... And if he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubaseth? Did not the woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at the base? Why did you go so near to the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Heatite is dead also. And strange how we many times get so irritated and so angry when people do stupid things, when they commit sins. When there's corruption, but whenever it favors us, it does not seem so bad. And two weeks from now, we will look a bit about the discipline of the Lord, how he uses the sin that we commit to discipline us so that he can teach us to hate the sin that we once loved. And the same will happen in the life of David, but we look at in that in a while. So the messenger went and came, told David all that Job had sent him to tell. 
the messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Not only Uriah died that day, but a lot of people, as David tried to cover up his sin. David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Job, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. He's saying that he might have died in any way. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, more or less seven days, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What a story. What a great amount of sin committed by one man as he tried to cover up his original sin. And something that we have to understand is that this is not David that is unbelieving. This is not David that is a new believer. Not that it would make sense if David was a young believer. I'm just trying to explain to us where David was in his life at this moment. This is the man of whom God said, I've chosen for myself a king. A man that is a man after my own heart. This is after David saw many victories in his private life. He was looking after the sheep of his father and bears and lions came and took a sheep. He ran after them, grabbed a bear, a bear and a lion by the beard and struck them down. Because he was full of the spirit of the Lord and he trusted in the Lord. This is the same David that went to his brothers and when Goliath came out. He asked, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is busy insulting the king of kings and the Lord of lords? And while all Israel was afraid to go out to him, David, full of courage, knowing who the Lord was, went out to Goliath and said to him, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts whom you are insulting. And he gains victory over Goliath. It's that David. This is that David that saw many victories as God was with him. This is the David that brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, dancing mightily with all of his might before the Lord. This is that David. This is David that said in the time of peace, Lord, I am dwelling in this cheddar palace, but you have no house. The Ark of the Covenant is in a tent. I will build a house unto the Lord. And, and the Lord's response to David was, because you have this heart towards me, because you are set on my kingdom, on my namesake and not on your own, I will make a covenant with you that will last for eternity. My steadfast love will not depart from you and your reign over Israel will not end throughout all generations. But you and your family will reign over Israel forever. This is that David that commits these sins. And one thing that we have to notice, no no matter how strong we think we are in the Lord, no matter how big we think our faith is, no matter how much we think we know of God or how long we've followed Him, we can still position ourselves in a place where sin becomes a stronghold in our lives. We are not out of reach of the temptation to sin. And how does it happen? We read here in verse 1 and verse 2 the following. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rahab, but David remained at Jerusalem. He isolated himself. He removed him from the people of God that was supposed to speak the truth of God's word to him. And he became passive. As he arose from his couch, he saw the woman bathing. Isolation and passivity, and we can also position ourselves like David, so that sin becomes a stronghold in our lives. And we don't know how long David was isolated. 
We don't know how long the men have been at war. We don't know how long David has you know, been walking on this roof with his thoughts of lust going in his mind. And finally this temptation gave birth to sin as David saw this woman. You know, and I've heard it many times when people say, you know, my, my, my faith is strong in the Lord. I only need my Bible and prayer. You know, I don't need these church people. If you heard it said, I don't need them. My faith is strong in the Lord. And God says, do not remove yourself from these people that are called to speak the word of God into your life. And I want to say to us as well tonight that whenever we isolate ourselves and whenever we become passive, we are not positioning ourselves to temptation. We've already given into it. The moment you isolate yourself, you've already given into temptation because God is not the one that called you to isolate yourself. He says, do not neglect to meet together. Hebrews 10, 25. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's not the one that has called us to isolate ourselves. So the moment we do, we've already given in to temptation. The moment we become passive, we've already given in. Because he says in his scriptures, always abound in the work of the Lord. The moment we are passive, the moment we isolate ourselves, we already give in to temptation. And as we saw, the more David did this, the more he isolated himself, the more he stayed passive, the sin just grew and grew in his life. And we read in James 1 verse 14 to 15, it's not on the screens, but you can read that on your own. It says, we are tempted when we are led away by our own desires. And when desires gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, leads to death. And the more we isolate ourselves and the more we are passive, the more and more the sin will grow. You know, and as we read through the story and we consider, okay, but Lord, what is it that set David apart from Saul? Surely any moment now, David will realize and he'll repent. Surely, Lord, I'm sure that this is what's going to happen. He will come to his senses and he'll say, Lord, I've realized that I've sinned against you. And he'll turn with all of his might to the Lord. But that is not what happens. We read in verse 6. This is the first time we get a glimpse of it and we think that this is what's going to happen. So David sent word to Job. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent Uriah to David when Uriah came to him. And we're sure that David is going to say to Uriah, Put away your sword, don't be angry, but I'm about to tell you something. I've sinned greatly against you, my brother, my friend. But it's not what David does. He doesn't come clean. He continues to try and cover up his sin. And then we read in verse 27, and when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. The child is already born. David has not repented. A year has passed, and David is still stuck in sin. And what we see from this is that the natural tendency of man is not to repent. It's not to confess. Our natural tendency is to justify ourselves, cover up our sin, and move on. That is the natural tendency of man. We do not repent. We do not turn to God with confession. We simply justify ourselves. We cover up ourselves and move. And the same in the life of Saul. When left to himself, Saul did not repent. He simply carried on. Even erected a, a statue to himself, a monument. Saul put up a monument for himself. He justified himself, covered up his sin, and he simply moved on. So the question then we ask ourselves is, okay, but when does the turning point come? What is it that turns David back to the Lord? When does it happen? And we read in 2 Samuel 12 verse 1, it's the next chapter. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent. 
And he came to me and he said, and he tells them this parable about a man that he should judge that stole another man's lamb and prepared it for a guest. And David says, surely as the Lord lives, this man must die. And Nathan says, you are the man. You are the man. We see the same in the life of Saul. Samuel went to him, the other prophet. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. If God does not move first, we do not repent. The Lord sent his prophet to both of them. That is what caused the change to happen. That is what changed this, the direction of the story. But left to ourselves, we will justify, cover up and move on. We will not repent. David writes in Psalm 32, speaking about this occasion, and he said, When I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sin, when I tried to hide it, my bones was groaning all day long. I felt the hand of the Lord heavy upon me. My energy was sapped from me as though the heat of some miserable time. And we know that. We know that feeling. Whenever we try to cover up our sins or stay quiet about the things in our lives, we feel the hand of the Lord heavy upon us. And it's a miserable time. Yet even the misery, even the groaning, and even the year that went past, the misery, the groaning, and the time did not lead David to repentance. Neither will it lead us to repentance. It's when God moves that we can repent. He's always the one that moves first. And what does God use? What does he send? He sends a prophet. What did the prophets do? They proclaimed what? The word of God. Hear, O Israel, thus says the Lord. Here is the word of God. It's only the word of God that breaks through the heart of man so that we can repent and turn to God. Nothing else. That takes us to point number one tonight. Sinner or saint, it is only the word of God that can break through and turn a sinner into a saint. It's only the word of God that can break through and turn a sinner into a saint. Nothing else because our tendency is not to repent. It's to justify, cover up and move on. That is what we do as human beings. And we see this throughout the whole of scripture when we go to the people that sin first. The scripture says whenever we want to examine something, the whole of the doctrine of the specific thing is found in the first occurrence. So when we go and re revisit the first sin, what happens? Adam and Eve sin. They eat of the fruit. And when they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, they went and hide from him. They hid themselves. Cover up my sin. And what does God do? He calls out, Adam, where are you? Not because God does not know where he is, but to give him the word of God so that he can respond. To the grace given so that he can repent. And if God did not call, they would still be hiding in the garden. And we see throughout the rest of scripture each and every time. Peter, in Luke 5, when he saw who Jesus was, what did he do? He said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. What does Jesus do? He says, follow me. If God does not call, we will not go. We will justify. We will cover up. And we will move on. When the disciples forsake Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and when Peter denies Jesus three times, what does he do? He says to the woman, go call my disciples and Peter after the resurrection because if he does not call, they will not come. Because we do not repent. We do not turn to God on our own. If the word of God does not come, we do not respond. And God says to Peter three times, Allowing him to confess for the three times he's forsaken him. Peter, do you love me? 
And he says, Lord, you know I do. Three times. So that he can respond to the grace given and turn to God. And Peter says, Lord, you know I do. It's not an holy heart because he doesn't have it and we don't have it either. But it's a truthful heart. For God delights in truth in the inward being. And we'll look at that next week. But it's a truthful heart. And this ties in with what we said last week. Who will go for us? Who will we send? Who will go and take the message of the gospel to this world? We as a church have been called to go. If you haven't listened to it, please go and listen to it on our podcast channel, our website, or on social media. But we've been called to take the word of God, to allow the grace to be given for people to respond to God. Paul writes in Romans 1 verse 16, and said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. It is, it is, it is. The power of God unto salvation. What is? The words of the gospel. We read in Romans 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. If the word does not come, faith cannot respond. In Acts 2 verse 37, after Peter preaches to the 5,000 men, what do they say? After they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It's only the word of God that breaks through the heart of a sinner and turns him into a saint. And he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus writes to the churches in Revelations 2 and 3, And he says, repent, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But God gives us grace to repent. Even in that letters that he wrote to the churches, he says, some of you are being deceived by that woman Jezebel for false doctrine. And even she had time to repent. The gracefulness of God leading us to repentance. But if God does not move, we will not repent. So we see here that it's not that David responded first. It's not that he turned to God and Saul didn't. God had to call both of them. So it's not in us turning to God first, but it's in the way we respond to him. And we'll look at that next week. What does God desire when we respond to him? What does repentance look like? When a true heart draws near with full assurance of faith. And I want to leave us with this tonight. Luke 19 verse 10. Is this not the gospel that God moves first? Luke 19 verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek because we do not. We do not seek God. We read in Romans 3 from verse 10 to 12, it says, everyone, no one is good, no, not even one. No one has understanding, no one seeks God. They've all been led astray. They've all become worthless. There's none that do good, no, not even one. We don't seek God. If he does not come, we do not respond. If he doesn't leave the 99 to look for the one, that one will never return. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And I'll leave us with this phrase. It's something that God has been saying to me the last couple of years. And I thought I'd put it in because it links so well with this sermon tonight. It says the following. It's on the screen there. If it was not for the shepherding work of God continually drawing us near, we all would simply fade away. If it was not for the shepherding work of God, continually drawing us near, we all would simply fade away. It says in Romans 2 verse 4, do not, do not presume the goodness, forbearance and patience of God. For do you not know, as the Afrikaans says, verstaan jy nie, 
that it's through God's goodness that he wants to lead you to repentance, knowing that he moves first. Knowing that he comes and fetches, do you not know that the kindness and the goodness of God is supposed to lead you to repentance? And then some of us are experiencing that tonight on the Zoom call. Some of us, as we will be watching the recording or the video, experiencing God drawing you near. The Father draws, the Spirit convicts, and the Son saves. And I'm asking you to respond with faith and with boldness, to come to a Father that's standing arms wide open. As it says in Zechariah, return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Return to the Lord. He's standing with arms wide open. And if we respond, if we return to Him, if we see that the goodness of God is supposed to lead us to repentance, and if we repent, He will renew and He will restore. But if we don't, we will be storing up wrath for the day of judgment. That is Romans 2 verse 5, the very next verse. It's because of your hard hearts, impenetrable, that you do not repent and store up for yourself wrath for the day of judgment. Let's respond to God and allow the word to break through a sinful heart so that we can respond in faith to God. I'm going to end off us in prayer. And I want to encourage you, whenever you feel God leading you to someone... To, to ask that person that has always been in your small group or in your church or you know that they were a believer and, and you're not sure what they're busy with these days and God is calling you to send a message. Send that message. Because it's by that message that God gives the grace for them to respond and repent. Do not water it down. Be like Nathan. You are that man. But let's go and give the word of God to those God has called us to give it. And after I've prayed for us, when we go into our breakout rooms, I want us to discuss two things. The first one is, what stood out for you in this sermon? What's the one thing that stood out? And secondly, I want us to pray for one another so that we might have the boldness to respond when God calls us to repentance. And that we have the boldness to go when God sends us to go and preach His word to a broken world. Because it's only the word of God that can break through the sinful heart and turn sinners into saints. I'm going to end off us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we can be before you tonight, Lord, and that we can know, Lord, that each and every one of us is here because you draw us near. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Not meaning that some want to come, but they can't. Meaning that we don't want to come unless God draws us, until the grace is given, until the word comes. We will not respond. We will justify. We will cover up, and we will move on. It will not be a nice time. We will feel miserable in that. But thank you, Lord, that you send your word, that you send your people to help us, Lord, to respond to that words of grace so that we can come to repentance once again. Lord, I pray for wisdom, Lord, in this time, not to isolate ourselves, but to remain near to those who carry the word and the truth of God so that they can speak it into our lives. This was your idea, Lord. You said you will build your church so that we might endure in the faith, Lord, so that we might persevere, not grow weary but encourage one another and yes lord i pray for the boldness father as some people have experienced lord you calling father that word coming so that we can repent and confess lord i pray for faith and boldness to respond to you lord knowing that you are a good father and i pray lord for the boldness to go to those you send us to proclaim the message of the gospel that is the power of god into salvation in jesus name amen so we're going to dive into our breakout rooms. What is the one thing that stood out for you? And pray for one another so that you might have boldness to respond to God when he calls. And boldness to respond to God when he sends. Bless you and love you guys. Enjoy the week.